Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Matt Sweeper, editor of Royals Review, and uh, joining me today is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good for a, a Wednesday night, I think. You caught up on your uh, your Chiefs Chiefs news? I know that was dominating oh Kansas City sports today. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll be catching up on that one for for a couple weeks, probably. Did you have a verdict? Like, are you are you? I think because it was pretty polarizing among fans. Are you very much for the trade? Against the trade? I, I mean, based on the deal he got, I can understand why the Chiefs didn't want to give him that deal. So I, it makes sense to me. It's a bummer because uh, he was, I think, a top five receiver in the league. So I, you know, it's it was really cool to see three Hall of Famers playing on offense at the same time because I think he's going to end up being a Hall of Famer, and everyone already knows Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes will be. Um, so that was kind of cool, but you know, we saw that. Um, it resulted in a Super Bowl, so you can't complain too much. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brett Veach hasn't let me down yet. So let's see what happens next. Well, also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, I don't know. Are you lamenting the end of the, the Chiefs dynasty yet? Uh, no. I mean, the thing the thing about the, the Tyreek Hill trade is that, really, this came down to two options. Option one is the Chiefs pay him what he got, which was an extreme amount of money, which would have seriously hamstrung the Chiefs in their ability to try to get get people uh, to you know play football for them, good good players to play football for them. Um, it was said that it, you know the the reason why Tyreek signed for so much was in part set by the market, which the Chiefs can't control. So on, on option one, the Chiefs give him what he wanted, which is thirty million a year, which is a heck of a lot of player uh, of money to give to a player who is playing on a team whose quarterback is not on a rookie deal, right? With Tua, you can you can do that because guess what? Tua is still on a rookie deal. Um, so the Chiefs really couldn't do that. And then the option, the second option was trade him, get a package in return. By all accounts, it's not you know it's no hard feelings. You know they gave Tyreek Hill the the they basically gave him a choice of where to go. And that's that's unusual. You know, they gave him two options and they let him pick. So, you know, there, there's there's no bad blood between them. It's just you know, it's it's part of the business. And you and the the Chiefs just can't pay Tyreek Hill that much. And that's really all there is to it. Like anything else, any sort of hysterics or extreme emotions, one way or the other. They had two options. They chose the smarter option. It's just how it is. Yeah, and just in case anyone is confused, we are, we are a baseball blog, but I did want to touch at least upon kind of the big Kansas City sports news of the day. And Jeremy and I were kind of chatting before this and, like, just how envious we were uh, that, like, in football there was a rumor of a trade. And, like, an hour later it goes down like a blockbuster. Like, in baseball that would have strung out for, like, weeks and weeks. Like, is Tyreek Hill getting traded? Here are five teams he could get traded to. Tyreek Hill says he's narrowed it down to two teams. John Heyman reports there's a mystery team. Like, I don't know, maybe that's better for, for like, the blogging business, but as a fan, that really gets tedious. And in football, man, they just – Tyreek Hill's down to two suitors. It's going to come to these two teams, and boom, the trade's made. And, uh, yeah, just interesting how the two sports operate. But, uh, uh, you know, you can catch our, our football takes uh, once in a while on Royals Review, uh, but but uh, I'll, I'll leave most of that analysis to uh, the guy, the good friends at uh, Arrowhead Pride who do a great job breaking that down on the Chiefs side. Um, well, we do have baseball uh, to talk about as well. Um, the, the games have started. We have uh, the first week of spring training action. And of course, the Royals are on their way to yet another Cactus League title. title. There are four 
undefeated 4-0 with one tie. Um, so uh, Cactus League title in grasp. Uh, I just wanted to get your guys' early impressions on spring training. I know you, you know, we haven't seen, you know, only a couple of games have been on TV. Uh, unfortunately, the Zach Greinke debut today was not on TV. Um, I, I guess one guy that's everyone's been focused on in, is Bobby Wood Jr. Monster home run on Tuesday uh, against the Diamondbacks. And what was most impressive, it was like it was not a, you know, fat pitch over the plate. It was kind of on the inside corner, brought his hands in. Uh, and just with you know the strong risk was able to not just hit it but hit it you know 400 plus feet uh, for an impressive home run. Also had a nice defensive play in the game. Really looks like he belongs already. Um, I, you know I'd be interested. In, you know I think we all kind of expect him to be on the roster, but he's certainly not doing anything to dissuade anyone from him being on the team. Uh, Jeremy, what's have you had any early impressions? Uh, on anyone in spring training, or is it maybe too early to really make any uh, have any opinions on guys? Uh, well, the the one uh, uh, thing I've noticed is that Bobby Witt Jr. is he's Mike Trout. That that's all there is to it. He's just Mike Trout who plays uh, on the infield, and uh, that's pretty exciting for Royals fans, right? Uh, to have Mike Trout on a rookie deal on the infield, yeah. Uh, so I, if you haven't heard he uh there's been a lot of comparisons uh to his swing for that home run to mike trout's home run swing and i gotta admit they do look pretty similar um i will hesitate to to actually claim that uh, that was a little bit of, of facetiousness on my part i don't think he's actually mike trout at least not yet uh but um it's you'd rather see him swing like mike trout and hit a home run a massive home run than than not so that's definitely a good thing. Um, I, like you said, I think there's every chance in the world he's going to end up on the opening day roster. And that's exciting for Royals fans. It's It's been a hot minute since we had uh, a guy who could be, who has been considered by some publications a, a number one overall prospect, uh, uh, have a chance to break the uh, break spring training with the big league club. Now, even Mike Trout struggled when he first got called up to the big leagues. Even Mike Trout, believe it or not. Uh, so if if Bobby Witt Jr. struggles for a month or two, that doesn't mean he's a bust. So just make sure that we're all exhibiting the patience uh, that behooves us as baseball fans. And, and I think we can look forward to a fun season, if not necessarily a competitive one. Yeah, I think if there was one thing you would kind of separate Trout from... I mean, obviously Trout's not at the big league level, but you know, just as far as physical like abilities, it would be kind of like the the walks and the the, the the patient eye that Trout has. But I'll point out Trout, you know, in the minors didn't put up huge walk numbers. He had a ten walk ten percent walk rate, which is very good, but not you know kind of the hundred walk pace he does in the majors. And Bobby Wood Jr. not too far behind last year with nine nine uh, percent walk rate. So you know, if if he's a guy that like pitchers are afraid of. I mean, that certainly could be a part of his game as well. Like guys just start pitching around him. Uh, yeah, certainly Bobby Wood, I think is, is the guy that uh, is generating the most eyeballs. Matthew, is there anyone else that kind of catches your eye or that you've been uh, intrigued by so far in camp? Yeah, I think whenever you're talking about spring training, you have to uh, consider one, one very core thing. The stats don't matter at all. Like the stats matter. Absolutely nothing. So, if if a player like hit a home run or, or something, you know what you can what you can tell is how does the player swing look. Um, you can kind of tell their approach at the plate a little bit, but also not you know not not hugely um, because people are you know everyone in spring training is working on something. You know that's that's the key thing to think about. My favorite spring training statistic, and I will always keep coming back to this. I I've, I've said it on podcasts before. I will continue to say it is in two thousand nine. Zach Greinke won the Cy Young. He was the best pitcher in either league. He had an ERA under two going into the last game of the year. I don't know if y'all remember that, but he had an ERA under two. It was it was one point something, and then he gave up a couple of runs to the Rays, and then went above two for like the first time in in like months. Um, but he was the best pitcher in baseball. His spring training ERA in like twenty some games or twenty some innings or whatever it was was uh, over nine, as in like 9.1 or something like that. Like that was his spring training ERA. And 
I, I point to that because, you know, Zach Greinke was obviously working on stuff. He didn't care what the stats are. And not everyone is going to be that blatantly Zach Greinke of just, like, working on stuff. But similar kinds of things are happening for every single player. They're working on their changeup. They're working on, you know, trying out a new, you know, approach. There's there's just so many players are working on stuff that you cannot take any spring training statistic, like, eh, at all. Um, what I do think is interesting in spring training is – um, where players are playing, right? Generally, there's like a major league and a minor league type of game. Who is playing where, right? Because uh, that's a signal into where the club thinks that they might be. And then also, where are they, where are they playing? Um, so are they playing in an interesting position? You know, something, something like that. So for Bobby Witt, um, specifically, he's been playing third base and he's been playing with the big leaguers like the whole time. And that's a pretty pretty clear indication that the Royals are at very at at bare minimum strongly considering him for third base. Um, another couple of things that I that I noticed: um, MJ Melendez spent some time at third base. I think it was today uh, I saw. Uh, um, he I, I think he went there after catching. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but uh, um, he he played a little bit of third base, which he did some last year. So. Uh, that's interesting to see that the Royals might be potentially thinking about using his athleticism to get his bat into the lineup um, elsewhere, not just catcher. Um, and then also it was interesting, interesting a couple days ago seeing Vinny Pasquantino hitting uh, as the designated hitter with the big league club. So those are the type of things that you should really watch out for is where are players playing um, and what are you know, what, what the Royals are, are thinking of those players, because the Royals are not going to like screw around and be like, all right, uh, we're going to turn, you know, Vinny Pascantino in a pitcher. Like they're, they're not going to do that in spring training. They might test them out in right field, right? You know, they might test out MJ Melendez and third base, continuing a little bit what they've done before um, in the minors. Um, so those are really the things to keep an eye on. And I think that, um, unsurprisingly, the Royals are playing a lot of Bobby Witt uh, as as they should. He's clearly the best third base candidate, like just clearly. And so it's nice to see that the Royals are doing that and also that the Royals have less of a chance of getting penalized for it too, thanks to some new rule changes. Yeah, the Melendez thing is really interesting, and, and I think Lesk, David Lesky kind of raised some questions about that. Like, do you think it's – they want to see him at third for them eventually, or they see that as like an ability, you know, he'll have an ability to have some position of versatility. Are they showcasing him for a trade to other teams? Like, Hey, other suitors, maybe you don't need a catcher necessarily, but this guy can play third. Cause he certainly seems to have like the build and the athleticism to play another position. Uh, what, what do you think about where, why he's playing third? Cause I, if Bobby Wood's playing third, you would think, MJ Melendez is not going to play third, but I guess Bobby could play short, obviously. Um, is it more uh, future Royals plans or, or for a trade? Well, I don't think that any team is really going to bite on them playing Melendez at third for a couple of games, right? I mean, it just hasn't happened very much. Like, I think at this point, Occam's Razor, which the simplest answer is probably the rightest, is the most correct one, is they're probably just trying that third base because they think that um, that could be a potential place that he could play and contribute on the team um, because there is some um, you know uncertainty in the rest of the infield. Um, and even with Witt Jr., to Jeremy's point earlier, um, you know, about... Uh, to both your points about, you know, comparisons with other good players, such as Mike Trout, which I think is, you know, <laughs> Mike Trout's setting the bar pretty high. But the point that Mike, Stra Mike Trout struggled and a lot of players struggled, you know, Witt looks great right now. He has zero big league at-bats, right, you know? So there's plenty of there's plenty of options for contingency plans. I think that Melendez's bat is probably good enough to squeeze into the lineup somewhere. And like I said, just a you know, just a little bit ago when I started this, this rant, um, I don't, I don't think that that teams are going to really like bite on Melendez playing a couple of games at third base. Like, you know, I don't think that proves anything to them. And it, you know, if it, like if I was another team, I wouldn't think, Oh man, he can play third base now. 
after a couple of games in spring training and, you know, 10 games last year. And I, I, that wouldn't be enough convincing. I would already know via scouting if I thought that he had the body type to play it and the skills to play it. So I, I don't, unless that like continues and he stays in Omaha and he plays third, a lot of third base in Omaha, then maybe, but just for a couple of games in spring training, not so sure. I'm just really fascinated to see what they do with him because uh, he's a guy that I liked when he, they drafted him, but I kind of written him off after his disastrous 2019 season. And when he, you know, started really hitting this year, you know, I didn't see too much of him, but I, you know, I certainly kept up with what he's doing. And I thought, okay, well, the, the Royals have committed to Salvador Perez. Man, MJ Melendez will make some really good trade bait to address other needs, maybe outfield, maybe a starting pitcher, something like that. Um, and then when you see him play, uh, I can see why people get pretty enamored with him because he's an impressive looking guy. He's a big, tall, tall guy, taller than usual for a catcher. Uh, looks looks like he's a physical specimen. I mean, he's got a, a terrific upper body, very sweet left-handed swing. Uh, you can see how he just generates easy power with that with that swing, and uh, and he's a pretty good defensive catcher. And he's the son of a coach. I mean, I'm sure he has a lot of the intangibles you're looking for out of a field general, out of a guy that. Um, you want on your team, and so now you're like, okay, well, I don't really want to trade this guy, but we already have Salvi, and DH would be kind of be a waste of his talent, and maybe Salvi transitions transitions to DH, but um, you know, are you going to put him there all the time? Are you going to? So you know, I don't. I'm really curious to see what they do with Melendez. Like I said, I think he can play other positions. It's just a question of what I think. Like right field probably makes the most sense, but third base is kind of interesting. Um, but you know, let's see what they do with him. But I've kind of gone from, you know, oh yeah, let's let's trade from a, an area of surplus, which I'm always willing to do. To okay, I see what everyone sees in this guy. He is phenomenal. It might be a mistake to trade him. Let's try to work it out uh, as best we can. Um, One quick thought, yeah, about uh, NJ Melendez playing at third is that, yeah, it looks like that is going to be Bobby Witt's spot. But uh, as you mentioned, Bobby Witt can play short. And Adalberto Mondesi does not have – he's been declared the shortstop, but he does not have the record of health. And even when he was playing last year, they gave him plenty of time off. So if you wanted to have a Melendez up and have him catch when Salvi's DHing and then play third when you give Mondesi a day off and have Bobby Witt shift over to short, that seems like it could be a situation where you could find at-bats for guys that way. No, that's true. Now, the Royals do love their positional versatility. I do hesitate in that – Whit Merrifield's kind of talked about how moving around has kind of it's a little bit of a distraction I think for him I don't think he particularly likes uh, I think he prefers to play just one position you wonder like with young guys do you really want them moving from position to position but you know maybe these younger guys they're fine with it and they you know they have the mentality to do that uh, so we'll see I mean it's certainly a nice problem to have it's certainly it's not like the days where like you're signing a guy hoping he can stick at third base. I mean, they've got a lot of pretty good options there. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, the Royals did come to terms with six players on contracts. These are arbitration-eligible players, so it's not like they would have lost them anyway. But uh, Adalberto Mondesi, Brad Keller, Amir Garrett, who they acquired from the Reds, Scott Barlow, Ryan O'Hearn, and Cam Gallagher Whoa. all came to terms. Ryan O'Hearn is the one. Gosh, yeah. That was a close one. Well, and so they tendered him a contract. Now, my understanding is with the new labor deal – that players that are arbitration eligible, uh, you won't be able to cut them like with, with severance pay where you only have to pay them one-fourth or one-sixth their salary. But that doesn't begin until next year. So the Royals um, can still cut O'Hearn before the end of spring training and be out of his salary. However, I mean, the fact they tendered him kind of suggests to me he's in their plan. So I don't see them cutting him necessarily. Uh, what was interesting is that the Royals still have two unsigned players, uh, arbitration-eligible players, Nicky Lopez and Andrew Benintendi. And the Royals, don't uh, they don't go to arbitration really at all. One, just one case in uh, Dayton Moore's tenure, 2018, they defeated Brandon Maurer in arbitration. Why Brandon Maurer took that to arbitration, I will never know. <laughs> but uh, the Royals do have two cases. Now, they can still settle with... Nicky Lopez and Andrew Benintendi. And in fact, a couple of writers, uh, Craig Brown and David Lusky in particular, have suggested that the, perhaps they are trying to work out a long-term deal with Andrew Benintendi, Matthew. And, you know, I think Lusky was writing that Benny might be worth something like three years, 30 million. Alec Lewis wrote about this about a year ago, and he, he said 10 million per year, but he suggested it might be more like four years, even five. 
what is your feeling on if the Royals should, you know, should the Royals be looking to extend Andrew Benintendi and what, what kind of numbers are you feeling comfortable with him on? Well, the thing about Benintendi is that he's pretty young. So uh, he uh, will turn, he's 27 right now. Um, so this is his age 27 season since he turns 28 in, in July. The way that it works, if you've ever been curious about this is, um, it's, I believe it's the, the, like the last day of June, how old you are the last day of June. So if you turn, you know, whatever it is before then, um, that's the, that's your age. And if you turn, um, you know, after it, then, you know, you're, you're 27 versus a 28 for a July. So, uh, he's in his age 27 season. He turns 28 in July. Um, per fan graphs, he was a perfectly league average player in 134 games, um, and that's, you know, he was, he hit slightly better than league average. You know, he had like sort of a slump that kind of, I think dragged down some, you know, some, some thinking of him, but he, the way the, how he ended up is he ended up slightly above average, uh, 6% per WRC plus, And he was a 2.1 uh, win player in 134 games. So if he plays in a couple more games, you know, a two and a half win player, um, you know, I, I think the the chances of him being, you know, a, a, a good player are are probably pretty solid. I think his 2018 season um, is going to be a you know a, an aberration a little bit when he hit 23 percent above league average and was worth four and a half wins. I don't think he's going to be that guy, but I think Benintendi is kind of the the type of player. He's kind of like David De Jesus a little bit in that um, he does a couple of things pretty well, but nothing's truly great. Um, and he's not like super physical guy, so he doesn't have a lot of power in him. You know, uh, you know he takes a walk. Uh, he hits, you know, for OK Pop, he's hit above average um, or average in um, every one of his years. But 2020 ended one and he only played 14 games. So, I think it's 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 okay. I would certainly rather extend Benintendi than a guy like you know Dozier. Benintendi has a longer track record uh, than Dozier does, so I think it, I think it'd be okay. Um, and honestly, but but here here's sort of my philosophy on extensions. I think extensions are way smarter than a free agency. They're cheaper. You get players at a younger age. And there's just less downside. So I think that's, I would be okay with a Benintendi extension at the right price, of course. Um, I, I maybe could go four years, maybe four years, 36 million. I, I would I would probably do that, you know. The problem, one of the problems with the Royals is not just that they haven't had, you know, awesome players. It's that they haven't had the types of players that Andrew Benintendi is. They've been just putting replacement level players in there. And Benintendi, you're going to get league average production, probably potentially uh, better than league average production in left field. And you can you can rely on that. And there's some definite value in there. But I, I think, yeah, I don't know, 36 to 40 million uh, at four years, I think is probably the max that I would do. A three for 30 would would be would be pretty good. That That's some pretty low, you know, not not very much downside. So. I, I like a tentative yes, but also like if you said to me, hey, we're not going to get Andrew Brennan to any extension, I'd be like, okay, and I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. So it's kind of an interesting sort of scenario with him. No, I agree with your, your take on extensions, how they're preferable to free agents. I think the, another reason they're preferable is that you've had the guy, you kind of know a little bit more about him than maybe other teams, you know, his you know, quirks, you know, his you know personality, you know, his kind of a little bit of what's going on off the field. Um, you know how he meshes already with your team. Uh, it's, as opposed to like a free agent who comes in, you're like, oh my God, this guy's a jerk or doesn't, or just doesn't get along with my star player. Like, what are we going to do? Again. <laughs> I'm not naming names, but uh, so I that's am. another advantage. Uh, so, uh, so I don't know, Jeremy, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about how you going through the Andrew Benintendi experience for a few more years? Would you uh, be looking to sign him to an extension? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much in the same place you guys are. Uh, if they didn't sign him to an extension, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. Um, but I do like the fact that he's uh, he's one of those high floor, low ceiling guys, and he has been that for a few years now. Um, 
One thing that does concern me a little bit is that there was talk about how coming into Kaufman, he should be able to hit a bunch more doubles than he was able to hit in Boston. But in 2018, 2019, he hit 40 doubles in Boston. And in Kaufman last year, he only hit 27. So it seems like his power might be even more sapped than anyone realized. I know we're talking, oh, he's probably not going to get to the 20 home runs or the um, all that stuff, that 123 WRC plus. But if he's only good for singles and he's he's only a, an above average defender in a position that's not super high on defense, it's it's hard to get excited about uh, bringing him back. But then, as I said, high floor, low ceiling. And consistency, those things have value. And when the Royals are talking about a bunch of young guys, bunch of young guys, the rotation should be very young going forward. Um, Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, uh, MJ Melendez, we've all talked about. Uh, are, they may not start the year, but they'll be up soon. Uh, Vinny Pascantino's not far behind him. A bunch of other guys. They're, they should be getting younger. And so having someone, that veteran presence, as uh, as we like to say, uh, that that brings a little bit of that consistency, a little bit of that stability, um, wouldn't be a bad thing as long as they don't overpay for it. Yeah, and I think what I like about it is, I, like Matthew kind of alluded to, he's he's young for a soon to be free agent. Like he, if you signed him to like a four year extension, you'd be getting his age twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, and thirty one season, which is like the sweet spot for me. Like I, I wouldn't want to yeah. sign a guy much older than that. But getting those years, I think, would be a plus. Uh, going back to his power, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think he did talk a little bit about how in Boston, towards the end, he started trying to hit home runs too much. And he said like he got away from his game. I think he had his worst year in 2019. And he had some injuries last year, which I don't know how much that rib injury hurt him. What I think is more concerning to me is that his walk rate like really went down last year. Uh, because he, like you said, he's kind of more of a single doubles guy. We'll hit 15 to 20 home runs, but as long as he's uh, getting on base and playing good defense, which he played really good defense last year, um, he's a, and, and has some power, modest power, I think he's a pretty valuable player. I think he can be a three to four win player he, just doing that. Um, but 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 the lack of walks last year was a little concerning. I think hopefully he gets back to that this year. But, I, I you know, I... I would definitely be for a Benintendi extension, if nothing else, then the Royals don't really have a replacement. I mean, like, if he leaves, who's going to replace him? Like, maybe Kyle Isbell? Uh, maybe Edward Olivares? Uh, I think Olivares is probably more of a tweener, more of a fourth outfielder. Isbell, maybe, I could see it. I mean, he's kind of like ben- he's kind of like Benintendi in a lot of ways already. Um, but he's not, he's not like a super prospect that's pushing ben- Benintendi out the door or anything like that. So... I, I think I'd be pretty comfortable paying uh, three years, 10 to 12, $13 million per year. Um, I, I'm always reluctant to go more than three years with free agents, um, I, but I'd be willing to do maybe a fourth year, maybe a club option um, or something like that. Uh, but I, yeah, I think it'd be a good, I think it'd be a good, good sign if you wanted to stay. Cause frankly, I didn't, there's not, there's not a reason why he should want to stay here. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's not from this area. He didn't grow up in this organization. He may have had a nice year with the team. Like, he may have liked being here last year, but um, he seemed, you know, you'd think he'd be a guy that'd want to test the market. So I think if he signs an extension, it's probably a pretty good sign that, like, he likes what he saw. The, you know, the organization is paying a, an above market price, probably, which, you know, I'm, I'm all for the team investing in their players. Um, so I think that'd be a good thing. We'll have to see. I, I, I'd still be a little surprised if it happens, but the fact that both David Lusky, who I think has some sources, not, you know, he's not certainly not Alec Lewis or Lynn Worthy, uh, and Craig Brown both kind of mentioned it, made me think, okay, and the fact that they didn't, you know, come to terms yet, which usually Dayton Moore is pretty good about coming to terms with players before uh, it's time to file for arbitration, made me think, okay, maybe there's something, there could be something there. So we'll have to keep, we'll have to keep tabs on that and then see if they get a deal done, maybe hopefully before opening day. I did want to talk about the rotation a little bit, uh, just because I think the lineup's kind of set, assuming, if we're all assuming Bobby Witt Jr. is at third base this year. Uh, but the rotation, I think, is a little more fluid. And I had an article this week that's just kind of looking at the candidates. And in my mind, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, there are kind of three locks to the rotation. There's Zach Granke, uh, who's probably, I think at this point, maybe the opening day starter. you got Brady Singer, who I think is pretty much a lock. And then you have Brad Keller, who, despite his poor performance last year, I think is still going to be in the rotation. 
uh, hoping that they can bounce back. Uh, but after that, I think you got to, you know, really, you know, and it depends if they go to a five-man rotation or if, the, if they want to do a six-man rotation to start the year. But, but really, there's, you know, a good four or five candidates other than that to make the team. I think you've got, uh, you know, top prospects uh, like Carl, uh, like uh, Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar. You've got Carlos Hernandez, who looked really impressive last year uh, in, in 85 innings. You've got Chris Bubich, who's been okay, not great, but certainly he's held his own in the big league level the last two years. Uh, and then you've got kind of some dark horses. Brad Peacock, they signed as a free agent. I don't expect him to be in the rotation, but you never know. Angel Zerpa, who looked really really impressive one start last year and did pretty well in his first spring training start. Austin Cox, I don't think he'll be on the rotation, but... He looked pretty good in his spring training debut, and you know I, I would expect him in Omaha. So, Matthew, what's kind of your thinking on on the, the pitchers we'll see in the rotation to start the year? I think I know this isn't the the question that you're asked, but I think uh, that we will see lots of different you know players end up pitching games for the Royals. So I think that. Um, you know, open, opening day, day rosters are, you know, a big question mark, um, and they're, they're fun to talk about. I do think we'll eventually see pretty much most of these guys. Um, but it is, you know, from a rotational standpoint, um, and, you know, players need rest in between, it is a little bit more important to see, you know, who starts the year than maybe it is for a position player. You can easily call up someone from Omaha and plug them right in, and, you know, that that's that. Um, so I, I think probably... I agree with you. I think that we'll see Brady Singer, you know, as their first pick in that draft uh, and the most successful one. Um, you know, he's had his downs, but he's also had his ups. Like he's, he's been, he's been okay. Um, and that's, you know, a, a pretty good result from, from, you know, any, any draft draft player to be just okay is, you know, you've beaten the odds a lot. So uh, Brady Singer's definitely it. I think Granky, if I were the Royals, I would, he would be the opening day starter. I mean, even if he's not the, like the best starter, I would, you know, I, I, it, it just seems too perfect, you know, considering they were playing at home. Um, and Brad Keller, I think it'll be fascinating to see if last season was just kind of a blip or like a, um, something that is indicative of a bigger problem. And if he continues to struggle because he was just, you know, two years ago, he didn't give up any extra base hits like at all. And then last year it was just like, and you get an extra base hit and you get an extra base hit and you get an extra base hit. So and that was just opening day. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just opening day. So, you know, who knows if, if Brad Keller is going to go uh, ex- uh, extra hit, uh, extra base hit Oprah again. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but he should start because he has a longer track record than the other guys. I think I would also put Carlos Hernandez there. Um, Hernandez uh, has more upside than some of the other guys, I think, um, and was like legitimately good last year in 85 innings. Uh, like no no qualms. Like he was he was good, um, especially like the this last string of starts were were, were really really solid. Um, and then I would probably put Daniel Lynch in there as the as the fifth. Um, I think that Toar really spooked me last year um, for, I don't know, he's just like was good in AAA and just absolutely like couldn't even pitch, you know, the, the baseball. <laughs> um, I, I, I can't explain it. And that, that really kind of spooks me. You know, because like Daniel Lynch had his struggles, but he was he had some moments of, of, of sharpness. Jackson Kowar was just he was just an absolute like enigma like nothing worked at all and that just really i, I don't know it just it just it just spooked me so, so that, that, that image of him like chomping his gum like a deer with his eyes like a deer in the headlights and, and i think it was anaheim <laughs> that'll just be that'll be like forever seared in my brain like it'll be hard to shake that image of him uh unless he goes out and just performs this year but yeah go ahead yeah yeah so i mean yeah, I think Hernandez and Lynch would be my picks. Um, I could see them going, um, you know, saying, telling, um, you know, Keller, okay, you've, you've got to prove it. You know, we're, we'll put you in as a wingman. We're going to go with, um, you know, Kawar and Lynch and Hernandez. Um, but I, I, I would probably include Hernandez more in towards a lock than, than not because of how good he was um, last year in his string of starts and he was better in his string of starts than 
um, an equivalent string for Singer or or Lynch or obviously Coar. So I would probably put those four and the fifth person. You know, I choose. I I think Lynch would be it, but I think that. You know, they could go with Bubich, right? Um, he certainly has more experience. They could, you know, go with somebody else, like a mystery player. That, that could be something. But I think those four are pretty close to being locks. Yeah, these a lot of these pitchers are kind of just enigmatic in that, like, Brady Singer, you know, it's been hammered to death, but, like, his slider is, is so good, and he's got good movement on his sinker, but he needs that third pitch. Like, Daniel Lynch, was his fastball was clobbered last year, but his slider was, like, unhittable. Uh, Carlos Hernandez is kind of enigmatic. Like he throws this explosive fastball, but didn't really strike out that many guys yet still had, you know, some decent success. Uh, Chris Bubich, um, he's got that changeup that he lives and dies with. Uh, and sometimes it looks great. And then sometimes he leaves it over the plate and it gets hit 450 feet. So I feel like, you know, if under the right, uh, you know, pitching coach, uh, they, 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 a couple of these guys could be really, really good. And we'll have to see if Cal Eldred, is up to that task. I know he's got a lot of critics uh, here and among the the fan base, but um, you know certainly if a couple of these guys pan out, I think he'll, he'll deserve some credit. Jeremy, uh, how do you see this rotation kind of shaking out, and what would you like to see start the year? Yeah, so I pretty much agree with the three locks. Um, I think I think Keller is a lock just because I mean he was the opening day starter last year, um, and he was doing pretty good uh, before he got hurt at the end of the year. Um, he had a really good August. Well, not a really good August, but a much better August than he'd had for the rest of the year. Um, and and then I would be very, very surprised if Carlos Hernandez was not in the rotation for all the reasons that have already been laid out. And I think I, I also agree that I think that fifth spot is Daniel Lynch's to lose. I do think he could lose it. Um, I don't I don't know who would take it from him. Because my anticipation at this point is that uh, I expect Bubich to kind of be the the sixth man. So if they go with a sixth man rotation, that he would be in the rotation. Otherwise, he would be the swing man, the long guy, kind of the role he played last year, where he was a long reliever when they were ready to st- when they needed someone to stick in the rotation, he was ready to go. Um, and you know, once he got there, he he could stick around for a little bit, and. With these guys, uh, there's there's going to be lots of opportunities, as as Matthew said. There's going to be there's uh, lots of people are going to pitch in this rotation this year. Uh, Brad Keller, for example, has not pitched in September uh, for two out of the three full seasons. He's been a big leaguer. Uh, he just hasn't made it that far into the year. So somebody's going to have to fill in that last month for him. Um, and, and they've got guys that, you know, they're, they look at to do it. John Heasley on Helzerpa. Uh, I still think Ronald Bolaños might have something to show us at some point. Um, obviously they have Asa Lacey. Uh, there, there's just so many guys and they're, they're going to want to give them all a shot. Jackson Kowar is an interesting case to me because I don't think he has a legitimate shot at the rotation at this point. So the only way he's going to make the big league club is going to be as a reliever, and I almost feel like that's where they should put him. If they, if they, if he breaks the year, breaks the camp with the big league club, or even if they promote him later in the year, I think that's where he belongs right now. Is is in the bullpen? Give him a chance to uh, to get past the deer in the headlights phase, uh, as you mentioned from Anaheim, and just kind of throw an inning or two at a time, uh, low low pressure situations. Um, he would also be a candidate, I suppose, if they get desperate and they they they're like, well, he's looked really good in AAA, and guy got hurt, so we need to we need a pitcher. Uh, he would be a candidate to me to have an opener, so somebody else can come in and get that first inning and and let him, you know, come into a game that's already in swing. Um, maybe that might help a little bit, but I I would be very surprised to see Jackson Kowar in the rotation. Uh, kind of regard, uh, ex- uh, except for catastrophic injuries, I would be very surprised to see him in the rotation before the second half of the season. Yeah, people make a big deal about Brady Singer not having a third pitch. Jackson Kowar is kind of the same boat. Like, he's got a fastball and a change. The changeup's really good. I mean, it didn't look so great last year, but, you know, it's it's, it's been his plus pitch. It looked really good in his outing in spring training. Um, his breaking balls has not really developed, I think, as, as some people would like. 
Um, and so that's you know it, I, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that, the bullpen might might be a better place for him long term, like as a fastball changeup pitcher who throws in a you know slider now and then. Um, maybe he has more success. He's able to ramp it up a little bit with velocity. Um, you know, if he has a if he has an issue with nerves, you know, maybe working out of the bullpen where you don't know when you're coming in the game that maybe that works for him better. Um, so that'd be kind of interesting to see, and, and you know. Maybe that's a good way to develop him too. That's the way uh, some teams have developed guys: break him in the big leagues in the bullpen, you know, get him acclimated. Then maybe they move to the rotation after a year or two. Um, that's certainly a possibility as well. Um, I still think um, uh, Carlos. I agree with you guys. That Carlos Hernandez, I think, has earned kind of the, a spot in the rotation at this point. Um, I, I'm really, int- I, I really like his poise. Like he just looks like he belongs in the big leagues. Doesn't get phased with runners on base. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's kind of the opposite of Koari. Like he, he's like, okay, another you no know, big leagues, no big deal. This is another another game. Uh, just looks. I, I saw him up close at Wrigley against the Cubs. He looked just looked like he, he owned you know the game. Like he just belonged. So he, yeah, he. I think I'd like to see what he can do long term in the rotation. Uh, and then I think Bubich is kind of in there by default. I think I want to give him like one long last look at the rotation. Um, I don't really have. I don't think his upside is super high at this point. He's like a nice fifth starter, um, but I kind of want to see what he can do. It and maybe he becomes trade bait to a team that's desperate for for arms or something like that. Um, but I think he kind of makes the rotation at the outset with the possibility of Daniel Lynch replacing him pretty quickly. Um, but you know, if Lynch has a strong spring, he can make it really difficult to to not keep him on the roster. And then there's a possibility of a six-man rotation. If that's the case, I think Lynch would make the team and be in the rotation with, with Bubich. And we also have to consider the possibility that one or two of these guys is traded for Frankie Montas. Uh, and the Montas is in the rotation, which um, that's not looking as likely as it did a couple of days ago. Like Oakland, now Oakland's like, well, maybe we'll focus on, on trading Sean Mania, who only has one year left of uh, club control, uh, which is probably a... Uh, uh, you know, negotiation there. Oh, they're sending a signal to teams like, hey, up your offers or else we're not going to trade them. Um, but we'll have to see what, what works out with that. But it's, hey, it's a nice problem to have. I mean, I remember the days, <laughs> put on my old man cap here, they had to flip a coin for opening day between, was it Ronelvis Hernandez and Jose Lima or something like that? Like, they, they didn't have anyone to put in the rotation back in those days. Now we have like, they probably eight, not ten options. I would feel pretty comfortable running with and that's amazing for this Royals team yeah and I that's a really good point about the the options too is not just you know they've got a a couple good options for opening day starter but when somebody gets hurt we don't have to go get uh Joe Blanton (laughs) minor league or Eduardo Uh, Villas are you old enough to remember him when they called him yeah (laughs) they've got guys that you're like oh well I was actually kind of excited to see him pitch uh, that, that are going to start the year in AAA. So, yeah. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a few rules tweaks that Major League Baseball did, including the extra inning rule. It's back. Well, uh, with the outside of the season, uh, baseball has decided to tweak the rules a little bit. As expected, they're going to expand the rosters to start the year to 30 uh, with the shortened uh, spring training. So teams will have 30 uh, players on the roster until May 1st. So I think that makes some sense. You're going to see a lot of pitchers on the on the staffs uh, as they probably ramp guys up with innings um the there's going to be a rule kind of it's, it's called the Shohei Otani rule because it really only applies to him but if you uh start Otani uh, a guy like Ohani who's Otani who's a two-way player and that player is DHing as well as pitching and you pull him he can still stay in the game as DH uh baseball says they want to encourage more two-way players I don't, you know I don't know I know Brendan McKay is still with the Rays the the Reds Hunter Green, I think, was trying to, the two-way thing. I don't know if he's still trying to do that. Uh, so I don't know if there's going to be too many players this, this applies to. But if the Royals, you know, say they want to start Zach Greinke at DH and he starts and he only pitches a couple innings, he can still hit the rest of the game. Uh, but the other big rule change I want to discuss a little bit is the extra inning rule. You may remember it from last year. So every inning uh, in the extra innings uh, will begin with a runner at second base. Baseball is trying to uh, kind of move the game along uh, and not – have situations where the game goes 18 innings and they run out of pitchers because pitching is going to be uh, uh, in short supply this year because of the shortened spring training. Matthew, 
what is your stance on the extra inning rule? I know people call it the ghost runner rule, but I don't. It doesn't make sense to me because ghost. You know, when we played ghost runners, kids, that's not what a ghost runner is. I mean, there's an actual person there. Uh, how do you feel about starting each extra inning with an extra person at second base? I am very much in the minority here. Like very much in the minority here. I'm perfectly fine with it. Like I, I really don't care. It's, it's fine. Um, like, like truly. And I think the reason why it's fine for me is that it helps to avoid the types of games that absolutely no one likes, which is those 13, 14, 15 inning slogs in which you basically have to have, you know, two starters worth of pitchers. Like no one likes it. Like speak for yourself, man. I love that. (laughs) Very, very few people will stick around to watch it. Like people leave, like, no, no, nobody wants to stick. Well, okay, not nobody. Clearly, you're not nobody. But they're a very like small percentage of people want to watch that. Uh, anytime you watch a game that goes like that long, are people sticking around in the stadium? No, unless it's a postseason game that like it's it's hollowed out. People leave. Uh, the players don't like it. Um, there's an increase in injury possibility because you have just like people like just pitch counts thrown out the window. Um, you know. And you just have to use random pitchers. You got to use, you know, position players as pitchers if it goes really long, like 16 or 17 innings. Um, the, the, you know, the players don't like it. Nobody at the stadium likes it. Uh, the announcers don't like it. Like no one, very, very few people, like enjoy super long games. I think pretty much everyone likes a good, you know, it's an extra innings game, but people don't want extra innings that go for five six additional innings on top of what's already been played i i think that's i i would like to see polling about this but i think this is pretty this is this is a pretty safe bet to say uh that that you know it's long extra inning games are not great however there are other ways to mitigate that um and, you know, if you don't like the, the Ghost Runner rule, there are some other types of rule changes that could be more amenable to making the experience better. Um, for instance, like if a game goes past X amount of innings, you can put players back in the game that were taken out. For instance, you know, something like that, I think uh, could be an alternative to it. But I'm perfectly fine with the the ghost runner, quote unquote, because it works. Like if you look at the data, um, the data is pretty clear. There are fewer super long innings, uh, super long games that get played. A lot of games in the 10th and 11th inning, very few um, go past 10 or 11 innings. And the the rule is doing exactly what it intends to. I think the game is better for it. Um, But I am not a baseball purist in like a rule sense. Um, I'm far more of a of a liberal rule opinion person in that if you want to change a rule, you know, to make the game better, like I, there are very few sacred cows in baseball that I would like really defend. I, I think it's okay, but I also say this, I know I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people really don't like it and, you know, I, I get it. But um, when you really like dig down to it, like if someone told you ahead of time hey this game is going to go 14 innings and uh backups are going to play the last six you know you would probably turn that off you, you wouldn't watch it yeah, here are the numbers there's an academic study on the results and they found that in 2019 uh 43 of extra inning games ended in the 10th inning last year that rose to 71 percent. so that's that's a big increase in games ending in the 10th inning uh eight, in 2019 of games extra inning games and it were done by the twelfth inning, that went up to ninety eight percent, ninety eight point six percent in two thousand twenty one. So, by it effectively ended games. It goes past the twelfth inning. Uh, Jeremy, what do you think about having the extra inning rules? Are, do you do you want to see games ending you know before they go to thirteen, fourteen, fifteen innings? Yeah, I'm I'm also pretty liberal when it comes to rules. I, I'm. Of the opinion that if you think you've got an idea for a rule that could change, that could make the sport more exciting, uh, do it. Try it. If it doesn't work, get rid of it. <laughs> you can always go back, I think. Um, and in this case, I, it makes the extra innings more exciting, I think, uh, because there's already a runner on second. What, what's more exciting a situation to be in as a, as a baseball fan than a runner's already in scoring position with nobody out? 
Now we don't have to wait for somebody to try and get a hit to get there. And with the bullpens the way they were, uh, the way they are, you know, you get even into the 10th, 11th, 12th innings, it feels like, oh, well, no one's even going to get on base. And, and then you have to start using uh, your your weaker relievers, and then people start getting on base. But, oh, yeah, you're also playing your backup hitters now, so maybe they're not getting on base. And so, yeah, I I like it. Um, I, I think it makes the game uh, a little snappier. I know there's a lot of people out there talking about how, oh, you know, the more baseball I get, that's the more I get for my money. But there's a certain amount of baseball that's just not fun, uh, including, like, waiting for a guy to figure out what the signs are and throw the pitch. Like, I'm not excited to sit here and watch the catcher and pitcher argue back and forth for two minutes because they don't know what the signs are. That's not fun for me. So uh, as much as we can reduce the less exciting parts of baseball and and condense it down into the more exciting parts, I think that's going to be better for the sport and uh, better for my attention span. So I want everyone to turn turn up the volume uh, because I just want to say I hate the extra inning rule. It is not baseball. It is some contrived bastardized form of baseball you don't start an inning with a runner at second base that's absurd and i hate it and i hope it goes away and the fact that they won't kill it for another season makes me worry that rob manfred is just gonna say well this is working let's let's keep it and uh you know it's worked so well during the pandemic let's uh you know let's just keep it for good um i think it fundamentally changes games um you know it it, it, it you're you're turning extra innings into a much different game than the first nine innings were played in that suddenly just, you know, you're just trying to, uh, you know, get a guy home from second with no outs, which means you're going to play some small ball. And maybe people like small ball. And, you know, I want to get more small ball in the game, but I don't want the 10th the inning rules to be different than the ninth inning rules, I guess. So I don't like it at all. I'd like weird baseball. And it's a small fraction of games that go... 15 innings or more than 12 innings really it's very handful of games per year uh it's it's a it's a uh solution that was looking for a problem and i hope it goes away next year uh because it it drives me nuts here's here's a thought i'd be willing to say all right fine let's get rid of this extra runner rule in the extra innings let's allow ties 12 innings, game's still tied. Let's I'm all for that, time. man. I I mean, they have them in Japan. Yeah. They used to have ties in baseball that's when, when the, when, you know, before the days of lights, when the sun went down, like the game was tied. They're like, okay, that's a tie. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd, I'd for, be all bring that. That's not, that's, that seems very anti-American. They're like, that Americans don't like ties. <laughs> Tell that to football fans. <laughs> well, they time, hate ties. Every time there's a chance at a tie, they're like, oh my gosh, turn on the football game. Let's see if there's a tie. And they don't like it so much in soccer. Yeah. I'll give you that. But um, when it's kind of a rarity, like it would be in baseball, I think, uh, it could be interesting. It could be fun. Yeah, in Japan, I think they go 12 innings, and after that, it's a tie, which, like I said, it's a, that's a small handful of games. Make it a tie. Hey, maybe I'd even be for, like, you know, some sort of point system, like in hockey, where you get, like, one point for a tie and two, po- two points or three points for a win or something like that. I don't know. Like, like I, I don't like the exchanging role. So I don't. That's just that's just me. I don't know. You guys are obviously disagree, but uh, well, so I I would be more than happy to you know compromise and land on a different rule that accomplished the same sort of thing. I just think that you you know you say you know a few games every year go past you know x you know the twelfth inning, which is true. Not very many do. However. I would argue that a few is too many. Like no game should go past the 12th inning. That's just, it's just very, very painful for everyone involved. Um, but I, I would be, I would be fine with substituting the rule for something else. Like I said, you know, um, and like you guys have said, there are other options than just the ghost runner on second. I read one of our, one of our commenters, uh, said maybe like a couple of weeks ago, something that I thought was interesting. Um, and so, like, what if, like, the 10th inning was, was the same? But every inning thereafter, so on the 11th inning, um, you know, you have a runner that's on first base for both teams, right? So you already have somebody. And then in the 12th inning, you have a runner on second base. And then in the, you know, 13th inning, and for all innings afterwards, you have a runner on third base. 
um, you know, that could be, you know, something, you know, because it would give you a chance, like you were saying, Max, it would give you a chance to have that 10th inning be just the same as the ninth inning. And only after that would there be increasing, like, you know, pressures. So, you know, that that's an idea, but there are there are other, you know, options. I, I'm, I'm okay with other types of rule changes. I just think that what they have works excellently. Like, fewer games are played super long, and any games that are played super long are just, it's just bad sport. And the, the motivating factor, too, behind this is not necessarily like, oh, fans are going to be bored, you know, with an 18 game. It's It's that... We've gotten to the point where pitcher we, we use so many pitchers in nine innings that if the game goes ten or eleven, like you will be out of pitchers. And but I think that that kind of gets to a larger point in baseball. That's kind of a, I think it's a problem. I think more older fans think it's a problem. I think maybe younger fans don't see it as a problem. Is that a game with like six, seven different pitchers in a game is a problem. Like it's it's great to see these guys throwing gas, but. Um, you know, number one, it, it, it means that you have to carry 13, 14 pitchers on a roster. It means that the pitchers become more interchangeable and face name, nameless and faceless. Like that's kind of been the knock on the Rays. Like they just, you know, they're all interchangeable. They can just trade a guy like Blake Snow away. And it doesn't matter because they're a system, you know, they have a pitching staff that's a system and all those guys throw 98 with gas and, um, and uh, it doesn't really matter. And I think that's ultimately bad for the sport because you need pitchers that are stars. You need Max Scherzer. You need uh, Zach Greinke in his prime. You need Nolan Ryan. You need Fernando Valenzuela. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's a that's a larger problem. I don't know how we get back to that. Um, you know, maybe the genie's out of that, the bottle. Maybe there's something else they can do. That's the thing. I actually agree with you. I would rather have starting pitchers going longer, mm-hmm. have relievers pitching more innings. I think that would be more interesting, more fun. It would also make the game faster because you'd have fewer pitching changes. Um but the putting the genie back in the bottle, this this is a result of analytics telling people, you know, this is the smarter way to run your pitching staff. And you can't you you, you can't just tell them, well, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> you got to now that they figured this out, you've got to either accept it or you've got to incentivize some other kind of uh, behavior. And I don't know what incentive you could offer uh, to 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 fix to to make starting pitchers go longer you'd have to like take runs off the board for innings pitched or something and that wouldn't be very baseballish i mean if we're talking about extra extra runners and the extra innings the taking runs off the board because the guy went seven innings well, that's what you that could, uh, you, i think you probably like limit rosters to the point where like you just can't carry you know 10 relievers or can't you know yeah you, you, and maybe managers have to go with a starter a little bit longer but i don't know like maybe then they just overuse the relievers i don't know yeah it's i don't know it's hard to see how you manipulate it so that starters go longer but that's a different i guess that's a different conversation though so let's uh, wrap things up with uh, our royals review reviews matthew what do you have for us this week yeah so uh what i have uh is another non-media thing um really but the um review that i have is um music is uh, pretty cool and playing music is pretty cool um for a lot of you probably know i i have a a music degree from one william jewel college um and while i don't you know i i'm a content marketer and, and writer i don't you know I don't use my music degree on a day-to-day basis um, in my day job. However, um, recently I've gotten the opportunity to play with some more, um, you know, some more challenging um, pieces of music for a couple of different uh, um, performances. Um, and it's been, it's been pretty cool. And all of this is to say, you know, if you have never thought to yourself um, – or if you if you have thought to yourself something like, uh, I, I I'm not good enough to play you know to pick up guitar or like I, I don't I don't know if I should pick up my saxophone again. It's been you know it's been 20 years since I played in high school or, you know, am I too old to play to play piano or to you know start a band or you know whatever like um, you playing music is a really fun and rewarding thing and even if you're not good at it it's fun and rewarding. That's what's great about it is you can be really bad at it and the process of working to get better and to play something uh, by yourself or with people is rewarding no matter how good you are. And 
that so that is my recommendation you know playing music is great um and you know try it out it's it's fun if you're not if you know if you're not into it that's that's fine you know but it's sort of like you know other forms of art you know you may not think that you're a good painter but you may enjoy you know painting even if the paint's bad so um or if the painting's you know even if you think that you're bad um it can it can still be rewarding and still be good. So this is true about music and it's true about other art forms um, as well. But music is what I know the most about. So that is my rosary review. Is uh, music is good. <laughs> no, that's very cool. And I know a lot of people picked up an instrument over the pandemic. I have a friend who's he took guitar lessons. He'd always wanted to play. And I I took piano lessons as a kid. And when I was bored during the pandemic, I kind of printed out sheet music of popular songs I liked and tried to learn how to play them. And some of them were hard. Some of them I was able to kind of learn, and it's kind of cool to play and just mess around with. So, yeah, music is cool, and learning how to play an instrument is, is very cool. Uh, what do you have for us this week? So I'm going give to you, give you one that, uh, well, everyone's heard of before uh, if they read a little Royals review, and that is going to be uh, Prison Playbook, the <laughs> Korean drama on Netflix that I was writing about for a little bit. Uh, didn't get a lot of interaction, so I did finally give it up. But I finished it over uh, the weekend, and it it was really good. Um, there wasn't a ton of baseball action in there. It was um, there was some there was a fair amount of like, what is it like to be a major league baseball player, or in this case, a Korean baseball player? What, what's um, the general plot, just for anyone that didn't didn't? So the that general series? the general plot is that. Uh, the biggest star in the Korean Baseball League, who is known, it's everyone knows he's about to go uh, sign a big league deal with the Boston Red Sox, uh, ends up being sent to prison for a year because uh, he protected his sister from an assault and beat the guy up too much. And the judge kind of wanted to make make a, a an example out of him, so he sends him to jail for a year. And... Uh, and and then there's just basically a lot of shenanigans from that point. Um, lots of goofiness. It's it's a dramedy, um, I guess, not just a comedy because there are there's a lot of seriousness too. Um, a lot of of interesting issues are raised. I do wonder how much the Korean uh, prison system matches what I saw on the screen because it didn't seem that bad to me. <laughs> and I know that the U.S. system is pretty messed up, but uh, the Korean system can't be that nice, can it? <laughs> um, you know, he was constantly dealing with issues, but they weren't from the system being bad necessarily. They were from, like, people around him being bad. Um, and uh, But it ended up being really charming. The, there's lots of uh, very uh, charismatic performances even with the the language divide, um, it is there's no dub for this one. It's it's subs or nothing, baby. Uh, so you definitely have to commit to reading as you watch. But um, it was I really enjoyed it. It made me laugh, made me cry, and in the end, I'm very glad that uh, you actually brought it to my attention, Max, so that I had a reason to watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, my wife, she's on a like year long binge of Korean shows uh she just that's all she watches now is korean dramas and comedies and so that got kind of like came up in my algorithm like in my feed and i was like okay that has something to do with baseball and i knew you were writing about baseball and i was actually going to get around to re watching it which now i'll have to do uh, now that you've kind of completed your series so uh, i'm glad you enjoyed it so prison prison playbook uh where did you find that on was it on netflix netflix okay yeah they they have so many korean dramas yeah. on there so if you if you if you're out there and you end up watching Prison Playbook and you like it, there's probably at least half a dozen more on there that you'll also like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so my uh, Royals review review this week is uh, it's it's not it's a it's a tepid uh, re recommendation. I, I wouldn't say I was, I was like my favorite movie, but like uh, I watched uh, the Adam Project on Netflix with my sons. Uh, it I didn't know anything about it. It's just other than it was like a sci-fi time travel action movie with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and it, so, and I, I had seen something on Twitter, like people making fun of the special effects. The special effects are awful. Like they are just <laughs> so bad. Like, like sci-fi, like a sci-fi original programming bad. Like it's from the nineties, you know, it's, it's like everything is CGI. Even like when they're in a forest, it looks totally fake. But 
Um, Ryan Reynolds, charismatic as hell. I love everything he's in pretty much. And it had like a surprising amount of heart. Like it was, it was about like families and how we relate to our parents. And I was watching with my two older sons when we were on a trip, a vacation. And, you know, I got a little emotional at the end. It's like, I'm glad we got to spend this time together. And, you know, sure they beat up the bad guys. Um, but I think there's a little deeper message there that resonated with me a little bit more than your average action movie. And so, you know, a tepid thumbs up to the Adam project. Uh, if you just want like a nice, you know, I think it's two hours long, you know, lighthearted action movie with a little bit of heart to it, then I would, I would say that's a good way to spend your time. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, again, thanks to Jeremy and Matthew for joining us. And from everyone at Royals Review Radio, we'll talk to you next time. Hey!